me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 9. That's in the Old Testament, by the way. Deuteronomy 9. And I want to begin a series on a subject that is uh, very, uh, how can you say, we all have experienced it. So growing up, imagine with me a family and there's uh, your siblings nearby. And uh, usually what happens when there's siblings? Encouraging one another to do things, right? Sean, was there ever that for you with, you know, your brothers? And I'm sure Cynthia was just the bastion of good behavior, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah, Mom was like, no. <laughs> so what usually happens when there's, there's a, the dynamic of a family, say, Adam, you know, you're, you're the, the middle, right? So you had Brittany and Natalie on either end, and you, the you're the mediator. I, you didn't instigate at all. No. You asked them, I Okay, so we have to ask them. So there's no evidence at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So, have you ever heard this or whatever where it's like, you know, uh, someone tells this story, they were driving on the car, driving on a trip or whatever, and the kids are in the back, and you know, you just re- remember how that you were instigating something because you're bored. Kids do this when they're, they're, they're bored, and it's like, all of a sudden you hear, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, so you look back or whatever, and it's like, you know, there's some child's finger going like, I'm not touching you. What, what, there'll be fighting in the back, you know, so you hear the click and then rah, 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 like a bunch of alley cats. Then on the other side, you can provoke to do good things, right? So a parent or a teacher or, or whatnot can, can encourage their, those that uh, are under them, if you will, a supervisor can challenge people to do better, to go further. We would have this in, you know, yearly evaluations where not only as a supervisor would I have to do that for people under me, but I would have to go before my boss. You know, it's completely different, you know, when I'm doing that for other people. It's easier to me where I'm just like, look, this is broke. You do this good, but you need to do this better. I challenge you to do that. And then I would go like before my boss and, you know, I'd be like, I'm amazing. Right. And my boss, you know, or depending upon who it was, and we'd be like, yeah, you do good here, but there's some major issues. Like, I don't see that. But there's another way. So we're going to look at this word provoke. And first of all, we can provoke the Lord to anger with our sin. Then number two, we can be provoked in a negative way to like someone's provoking us. Remember, like I told you, like, You know, our response. And we usually get in trouble for what? Our response. Then uh, third, we can provoke in a positive way. We can provoke. There's. uh, We're going to look at that love is provoking. And we can provoke others to love the Lord. Or, and then finally, we'll look at how that we can provoke one another to love and good works. So this word provoke in scripture, it means to either make angry, offend, or to challenge. 
The word provoke or a form of it is used 79 times in your King James Bible. The books where provoke is most used are in this Deuteronomy is 11 times. And we see that we find the people mainly provoking the Lord to anger because of their idolatry and pride. And then uh, another area or place in Scripture where provoke is used, and that is between 1 Samuel and 2 Chronicles. So the, the history period of your Bible. So from 1 Samuel to 2 Chronicles, you see provoke used 21 times. Again, the people are provoking God to anger through their decisions to not worship him. Mainly, you see it a lot with the depiction of a king. And uh, we'll look at Ahab specifically, how that he provoked the Lord to anger more than any other king before him. And it was just interesting. He set the bar, right? And then third, uh, we find the word provoke used 12 times in Jeremiah. And again, that's mainly due to idolatry and the people's hard-heartedness. So uh, this word provoke is used a lot in a negative sense in the Old Testament. So first of all, I want us to see that we can provoke the Lord to anger or to wrath. And uh, two areas of sin that we'll look at specifically are our rebellion and our idolatry. So in Deuteronomy 9, we're going to read verses 5 through 8. Deuteronomy 9, 5 says, and the Lord is, is uh, rehearsing before them what to do. They're going to go over the River Jordan and take Canaan land. Um, but he says, uh, in other words, it's not for thy righteousness, in essence, that I'm doing this. Not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart. Dost thou go to possess their land? But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. So it's nothing that you have done. I'm choosing to do this as judgment to destroy the Canaanites. That he may perform the word which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness. There he says it again. For thou art a stiff-necked people. Amen. Verse 7, remember and forget not how thou provokest the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt until ye came unto this place, Ye have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Oreb, ye provoked the Lord to wrath, so that the Lord was angry with you to have destroyed you. When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord hath made you, then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights. Neither did I eat bread nor drink water. And he goes on to talk about, you know, just what they already know. And is rehearsing before them their, the their errors. And so uh, verse 24 of chapter 9 says, Ye have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. So what's going on here? What's going on is the fact that Israel is prone to wander. Their attitude towards God is rebellious and stiff-necked. So this, we'll look specifically 
about their rebellion. What does this mean? How do we provoke the Lord to anger with our rebellion? Well, for, I want you to see three things from this, is that uh, Israel's tiny righteousness. You know, the Pharisees will think that, you know, they'll tell you, and they'll tell you and tell you and tell you how righteous they are. But in God's sight, it's a tiny righteousness. And then second, we'll look at their rebellion specifically. And then third, our need to remember. We need to remember because if we forget the word of God and the things of God, we will rebel. That's just who we are by default. So first of all, this, how do we provoke the Lord to anger? And uh, is the fact that our righteousness is tiny. We rebel against God because our in and of ourselves, our righteousness is few. Verse five, not for thy righteousness or the uprightness of thine heart. Verse six was, understand therefore that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness. So uh, God is clear in saying that Israel did not earn the gift of Canaan with their sporadic periods of righteousness. Just like Israel's behavior could never earn them Canaan, we can never earn God's eternal forgiveness for our sin. There's nothing good within us spiritually. You might be a nice person and that's fine, but spiritually speaking, that there's, there's nothing that we can do to earn forgiveness of our sin. Israel is known for their stubbornness. God even here calls them stiff-necked and we'll, call that, we'll view that in a moment here, but that's who we are. And I remember uh, hearing this for the first time as a lost person. And I wanted to come to church and feel good about myself. And I've been to many services like that where I'd come in and, and I was told nice things and, you know, what a wonderful thing that I was there and, and whatnot. And I walked out feeling pretty good. But then I heard the gospel preached. I didn't feel so good about that. Because the gospel says this, is that in 1 Corinthians 15, you see... That's the, I call it the gospel chapter. The fact that Jesus had to die for our sin. And that he hung on a tree, was dead for three days, and rose again. In newness of life. That's the gospel, the good news. So the fact that we, that's the good news, but you have to be lost. The, Jesus came to seek and to save those which were lost. And... To understand that you're lost, you have to see that your righteousness isn't enough. It's not good enough. So Israel was marching around the wilderness for 40 years because of their huge righteousness, right? No. One, I heard a, uh, an athlete, a professional athlete said recently that uh, he doesn't believe that there is a God. He doesn't believe that that uh, God would send uh, people to an eternal hell. And it just, I mean, he's a very influential person. But just because that he says that, and he's a nice man, I guess. He does a lot of uh, uh, volunteer work, and he does a lot of uh, good things in the community and whatnot, and donates to charity. You know, that's nice, but his righteousness isn't good enough. And the very hell he does not believe in 
is the place that he will end up in for all of eternity, seeking to pay the penalty for his sin. When it's already been purchased, so if you shun God's salvation, you're choosing hell. So your righteousness, it's not good enough. Israel is saying, ah, you know, let's go to this land with milk and honey and, you know, look, look, we're amazing. Well, no, God is rehearsing before their ears. Verse 1 says, hear, O Israel. And you see that often. Hey, hear, pay attention. In the Hebrew, it's Shema, hear. In Deuteronomy 6, it, he lays out, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one God. And, and this is how you to live and to teach your children uh, tell them about who I am in the morning and as you go through a trick day and as you go to bed. And, and the Jews call that the Shema. Here, well, if you don't listen, what's going to happen? You're going to rebel. Because you're going to do what you think is right or what I think is right. And, you know, it might feel right. It might feel you know, what is supposed to, you're supposed to do. But it says in verse six that, uh, understand therefore that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness. Can I just add, it is not a righteousness, even though we call it that. It isn't. God doesn't even view it that way. For thou art a stiff-necked people. You ever had a stiff neck? Yeah? My back is stiff. You know, going through a, a period where my back was out. Woo! You know what? It threw out my neck, too. But you know, somebody who is stiff-necked, their neck just kind of, does. it bows, right? Kind of bows up, right? I've seen dogs do that. I ride by my motorcycle, and the dog's like, mm. they get, sometimes... Dogs get mad over the dumbest things. You just drive by in a car, dogs just get mad sometimes. Depending on the dog, right? And I've seen dog chase an 18-wheeler before, trying to bite the tires. Oh, yeah. oh man, that just made... Just gets mad. Stiff neck. Stiff neck is, is um, kind of like a, a donkey. Is a donkey known for its meekness and humbleness and stubbornness of donkey? Or as even a mule... A mule is a cross between a donkey and a horse, isn't it? So you get the, the sturdiness and the, the stamina of the donkey with, with the strength of the horse. So you get this animal that is stubborn as a mule, right? Ever heard that before? Yes, sir. You're mule-headed. That's somebody that, um, let's just say, don't want to listen. It's not a, oh, it's not? Oh, I took it that way all these years. I thought I was being steadfast. Because the Bible does say, be steadfast and movable. You know, it's like, wow. We can do that in error, though, can't we? Be steadfast and immovable, set in our ways. You ever heard that? Yeah, where you are stiff-necked people. This is not a compliment. This is not an area where, hey, you're doing well in this. You're doubling down on being wrong. God views this as rebellion. 
This is the attitude of unwillingness to obey or to serve. I'm going to do this my way. This describes the personality of the donkey or the mule as we've talked about. Stubborn for the sake of being stubborn for no or little reason at all. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. Samuel is speaking to King Saul. And Saul was, when he first started off, he was hiding behind the stuff. He didn't think so highly of himself, even though he was head and shoulders above the rest. Not that I'd ever know what that's like to be that tall. But he, he, the thing was, is he was a big boy. And he looked nice, he was a good looking lad. But he did not consider himself, he didn't view himself that way. So when you're little in, in, in your sight, God can use you. But when you get too big for your britches, or it doesn't matter if you're short, Napoleon was not a big man. But man, in his sight, he had, there was no room for God in Napoleon's life. The only time that he talked about God was when he talked about the weather. And you know what's interesting? Where did Napoleon fall? At Waterloo. It was cold. A lot, the, the winter that year killed more of his soldiers than anybody, anything else. Isn't that interesting? He's not a big man, stature-wise, but in his sight, he was. And Saul began to become this way. We see in 1 Samuel 15, and now in verse 23, Prophet Samuel speaking and says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So rebellion, you might think, hey, I'm just going to do my own thing here. I know God says this, but hey, I, this is just what I'm going to do. You ever been there? We all have and we all do. Still, even if you name the name of Christ, there's this battle. There's, um, uh, Paul called it this, this warring in my members. That to do good I do not and those things which I don't want to do, I do, says in Romans 7. So, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. This witchcraft here speaks of divining, which King Saul would later do, because he walked away from God. God refused to reveal to him his will. So it led King Saul so far from God that he went to the witch at Endor to divine whether or not or what to do about the battle. So that's what this witchcraft is speaking of here. It's about seeking the horoscope, seeking about the future. You know, uh, most of those horoscopes and, and those types of things, there's no power in them. But the, here's the problem. You know, it's, there is a power behind it. And it's just enough to deceive. And there's a lot of people in this world who are deceived by those types of things. So, but it's rebellious. What are people trying to do when they are seeking the future? They're trying to find a way for them to be happy without God. Whereas if you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. God says in Matthew 6, so, And most of those things 
In Matthew 6, speak about finances. I'm going to talk more about that on Sunday nights. But what is, what is it you're seeking in this life? Because if you're seeking God, that's righteous. But if you're not seeking God, you know what that is? That's rebellious. Christians can be rebellious. Yeah. How can a Christian be rebellious? Sinning against the Lord. Sinning against the Lord? Disobeying. Therefore, him to know to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. Yeah. What'd you say, him? Doing our own will rather than God's? Because that's just what we want to do. That there is a consequence for that. So we provoke the Lord to wrath, this progression. You begin to see yourself as righteous. Ah, you know, ah. And then you'll, you'll be rebellious. You'll act out. So do you see where it started? It started in the mind. Leads to actions. Now in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 9, it says, Remember and forget not. So uh, if you think you are righteous, doing your own way, you will become rebellious. Then if you remember and forget not, you'll say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry I'm wrong. But you will double down on your pride and your problems going in the wrong direction if you forget the things of God. You forget the things of God, you're going to go in willy-nilly and just be like, you ever just trying to get somewhere in your car? You were given directions, but you, you know, you turned left or turned right at the, the you know, Irving and you shouldn't have and you're like, you ever just been like, how did I get here? You drove there. You were the one who drove there. But you say, how did I get here? And you just be like, what do you do? You go back to the place where you departed from. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Yeah. Right? Well, even like those mazes, those puzzles, where it's like you start at one end and you, you know, it's like, okay, you go and it's like you reach a dead end. What do you do? Do you keep trying to go? No. Drill a hole in the paper? No, man, I, you, got, you go back, okay. Now I can go this way or this way. You took the wrong way. That your way is the wrong way. God's way is the right way. Amen. So we need to remember, it says, remember and forget not how thou provokest the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness. So it has to be personal how thou, you did it. You and I can provoke the Lord to anger. Does that startle you at all? I like to think of God that, you know, he's always blessing me and he loves me dearly and, you know, un unconditionally, which he does, but he cannot condone every action, every thought that I do. The same is true for you. So why was Israel wandering around the wilderness for 40 years? They rebelled. They murmured and complained. Here's a good Bible study for you. Look up the phrase, the mixed multitude. Okay? Those that preach and teach, be a good message maybe. Should the Lord lead you to do so. The mixed multitude. It is not viewed in a positive way. 
who these people are. Do you know who they are? The mixed multitude of the people that are, you know, it's like, there's, it starts with one or two and then it becomes more and they become this mixed multitude of a mob. Troublemakers. It's what it is. So now you have a rebellion on your hands. And who does it? Thou, you, each and every one of us. It says, from the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt, I mean, from the word go, until you came into this place, you have been a re- have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, so that he was angry with you to have destroyed you. So, and then he's going to go on and talk about how that um, the, the golden calf, and he went up to the, uh, Moses went up, and then Aaron led them astray, even though Aaron said, well, the people said, you know, and well, the Lord was angry with Moses to destroy him and was going to destroy Israel. So, and then move along, you know, and so then, oh, then they complain about the food, they complain about the water, they complain about this and that and the other thing. And finally, there's a statement in Scripture. Uh, turn with me to Numbers 14. One book. Oh, back, sorry. Numbers 14, one book back. You ever go in the wrong direction in your Bible? You're like, numbers fell out. <laughs> oh, it's back. Duh. Numbers 14, verse 11 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long wilt thou, will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have shown among them? So this is not a, uh, a positive sign. Have they stirred up the Lord unto being pleased with them? No, sir. To blessing them? No. no, provoked me. He's going to say, uh, I'm going to smite them with pestilence and disinherit them and make of thee, in verse 12, a greater nation. So the Lord finally said at this point in Numbers 14, enough. And this is called the day of provocation. Hey, you remember that time? When mom finally said enough. Right? Mom. 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 How many different ways can a child say mom? Right? Mom. 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 What, what's coming? What do you think is coming? Yeah? But what's mom doing? What's going to come from mom? Enough! Yeah? God is long-suffering, isn't he? And I've seen the sweetest, kindest people say, enough. Yeah? There's a lady, she's like four foot nothing, like four foot ten, I think. Sweetest lady, you cross her? We called her Little Debbie. But she she did she would start pointing, right? She ran our family camp at NTBC uh, kitchen, and uh, and you know it's interesting. You you that was like the holy of holies. You can't just go in the kitchen. 
You had to ask permission, right? Mrs. Anderson, can I, can I come in the kitchen? I need to wash my hands. Yeah, yes, Dylan, you can just go back. And she'd tell you what to do, how to do it. In essence, don't go past here. Yeah? I did that once where I was looking for a snack, right? Whatever wasn't nailed down. It was the assistant pastor, right? I should have that privilege. Uh, no. So she busted out her finger. It was cookies for, for lunch, for a snack that day. And I saw the tub. I got my hand smacked, man. I was 35 years old, and she smacked my hand. I'm like, oh. She struck the man of God. She struck the man of God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, just like in First Chronicles 26, where the, the priests were run out, uh, the, the king, uh, while he was serving and had the incense, you know, they ran him out. Yeah, that's what happened to me, too. But she just... She's like, no, don't touch. I'm like, yes, man. I was being rebellious. I knew the rules, but I was trying to skirt around, right? So you see here that finally she had enough. Come to find out there were other people that were trying to sneak in and get up, get things too. But with Israel, it was time and again, just murmuring and complaining, murmuring, complaining. And God's grace wasn't sufficient for them. So in order for them to finally understand that it was not okay, what needed to happen? Chastening. God was going to, literally, he was going to destroy Israel and make a nation from Moses. Well, Moses intervened. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Here's another telling of it, but with some imagery and some descriptions. We'll come back to Deuteronomy. So this day of provocation, basically, I call it almost the last straw rebellion. Yeah. Who do we think we are? We're going to rebel against God. Do we have any hope of winning? No, it doesn't stop us from trying. In Hebrews 3, let's read verses 7 through 10. Hebrews 3, 7 says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, that's Numbers 14, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years, Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they should not enter into my rest. So there was a rebellion and all what it came down to was unbelief. It says here that they do always err well, verse 9, they, they proved the Lord. They saw the Lord provide water out of the rock. They provided, or God provided manna daily, uh, provided victory in, in war and protection, going through the, the Red Sea uh, on dry ground and destroying Pharaoh's uh, army. And, and, but it says that, verse 10, they have not known my ways. They do always err in their hearts. 
That's where the problem is. That's where the rebellion is, is what God is saying. So we either hear God, remember in Deuteronomy 7, hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. Listen, if you don't listen to God, if you don't hear him, you will harden your heart and you will rebel. You will rebel. Provoking the Lord to anger with our actions leads to repeating the same problems until we learn our lesson. Psalms 106 verse 7 says, Our fathers understood not the wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. The multitude of mercies. I like that phrase. But they remembered not. All because you or I feel a certain way in a situation. We provoke him to anger. Why would we want to provoke God to anger at us? Doesn't that seem foolish? That's what our culture is doing today. He's going to say it. And then, I mean, look, the stage is set in our society for the Lord to come in the clouds. When John was playing the trumpet today, I could not help but think, you know, that trumpet sound and the Lord is coming in the clouds to take us to forever be with him. We get excited about that, but man, that should stir us to action. Because what about our lost family members or the people we work with and, you know, our neighbors are, you know, I, I was thinking of my kids, man. You know, it's like to where that we were given time, but I don't know how much more time this world has where God finally says enough. So I just wonder how much provoking of the Lord is left. Psalm 78, 40 says, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? To grieve God. That just, I mean, does, does that even compute in your brain? It's hard for me to imagine. But I told you the story about how that I grieved somebody near and dear to me as a boy, and I still remember that. And it was our actions can grieve, right? I've heard many different stories of celebrities where they make bad decisions. You know, they're people, but yet they're not people to be worshipped or followed. You know, where a man cheats on his wife, and, and then, he's, he, then he's sorry. Yeah? Well, he, the biggest thing that I've ever read in those situations is that the hardest problem or hardest thing is to tell the spouse what they did. And that's the hardest thing is that they grieved or hurt another. Thinking about their own situation, you know, because you can get so selfish is what the word I'm looking for. It's selfish. And that's what this rebellion against God is. It's selfishness. It's so focused on self. We provoke God. Our rebellion provokes God to anger. Now let's look at also how idolatry provokes the Lord to anger. We're almost through. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 32. So forward one. If you're still in numbers. Deuteronomy 32 
Here's an aspect of when we rebel against God, that's one thing. But when we willingly choose other gods, materialism, or actually things that we make with our hands and worship them, that's going even a step further or even a couple steps. This is where God cannot stand it. Deuteronomy 32, verse 16 says, they provoked, they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. So how do you provoke God not only to anger, but you choose to follow and worship that which is created rather than the creator? It'll provoke him to jealousy. Why? Talk to me this morning. Jealousy. Why would this make God jealous? We're his. So when you, you have something that's yours and somebody uses it or takes it from you and uses it for their own benefit, would that make you jealous? Yes. In Othello, Shakespeare called this jealousy, green, the green-eyed monster is what he called it. We call it now, you know, being green with envy. That's where you see somebody else's stuff and you don't like them for them having stuff. That's envy, right? You know, like, who do they think they are? You know, whatever, right? Rather than, hey, good for them, right? If they, they chose to work and work hard, good for them, right? Well, jealousy is where it's you're upset because they've taken something from you. Something of yours, or you perceive to be yours. Jealous. I've seen children be jealous of other children because of attention that mom or dad, you know, so, you know, the, a brand new baby and you have a toddler, right? And so the toddler is like, you know, you put this brand new baby in the toddler's, I've seen, you've seen video, right? Where it's like, what does the new toddler do? It's like, get it away from me. You just see the look on the face. Then the new baby's with mommy, and the toddler comes up. I've, I've watched this before. Anyway, I've seen this where, you know, mom has the baby, brand new baby, and a toddler comes up uh, and tries to push the brand new baby away. Yeah. Yeah? So imagine now with me, you're a believer in Christ, and then you've trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, you're walking with him, but then you just be like, oh, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this instead. Now, how do you think that makes God feel? He's jealous that you're now putting your time and attention on not him. I don't care what it is. It's just idolatry is not God. Right? Whatever attention you put on that's above God, it can be anything. It can be your job. It can be your hobbies. It could be, you know, your family. It could be the church. It could be any. It has to be God and Him alone in first place. 
Anything else is an idol. It doesn't matter what it is. So not only can we provoke him to anger, but we can provoke him to jealousy. In 1 Kings 33, I'm sorry, 16.33, it says, And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Whoa! And I won't even go into what was going on in that grove, okay? It was just wicked and just not serving the Lord. I'll just put it that way. And what's interesting is, and you look at the, the history period from 1 Samuel to 2 Chronicles, that it's um, with the kings. Do you know what often set them apart? Number one, whether they followed after God or not, right? Yeah. Followed after God. What they did with those high places. Because yeah. there were some that followed after God, but they left the high places. Yeah. Those these groves. People frolicking, dancing around. That's what God had Gideon burn, right? So it kind of, that culture kind of stayed around even during that time of history. So Ahab made a grove. Well, you know, that's, but he provoked Israel to follow after these things. And that's what's going on today. So you see people following after idols. And you're just like, hey, it's okay. Look at them. It's no problem. Well, their life seems fine. I can do some of that too. So then that begins to creep its worm its way, slither in under the, the weather stripping of the door of the church. And I don't mean to a service, but I mean into our life. Yeah. Right? Because you and I are the church, not the building. But into our homes, into our lives. And, and we see like, okay, so then we can, and we're not supposed to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. It's stupid, I mean not wise, right? The Bible says. But then we'll look at one another and just be like, well, they do this. We should say, what does God say about this first? Then, down the road a ways, hey, you know, what, what are other people doing? Because just because other Christians are doing something, it doesn't mean that it's right. Amen. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Another place in Psalms, Psalm seventy-eight, fifty-eight, For they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. So are are there any things like this in your life today? Number one, if you're not saved, you're provoking the Lord to anger just by refusing him. Amen. In John chapter 3, I preached this in a funeral just a few months ago, that you are condemned already if you're not saved. The trial's already been done. You're condemned already if you choose not Christ. Isn't it? That that should be a little disconcerting. It should concern you. So, the Lord says that he's angry 
with the wicked every day. Because you're choosing to sin and not to choose God. He's angry that you're choosing sin. So, but Christian, you turn to him in salvation, but now you live for him, but are there pockets of paganism? Remember I preached through that that series, Pockets of Paganism. The very people in Deuteronomy that God wanted to be removed, what did Israel do? They left them in the land. All those ites, remember? We talked about all those ites. And sometimes they made deals with them. Oh, you can stay but pay me tax. Or, you know, sometimes Israel was even uh, tricked. Remember the Gibeonites? We've come from a far way. No, they were one of those ites. We can be tricked, Christian. But if we're walking with God, going to him first about decisions, that's where um, Joshua got up, got, went wrong with the Gibeonites specifically. Yeah. He didn't ask God first, mm-hmm. just made a decision. So that's where, Christians, we need to be careful about the decisions we make. So uh, we'll stop there for today, but next time we'll look at in Genesis 6 where the people provoked the Lord to destroy the earth and all that's in it except for eight souls and some animals. Why? Because they chose sin. Now this is an attribute of God that provoking him to anger that people don't want to talk about. Like I said, that that athlete, professional athlete, he doesn't agree with that. But that's just a part of God. It's not who he is, you know, all of who he is, in essence. He's not a, an angry man, if you will, an angry king. No, but we can provoke him to anger. We provoke him. By what we think, what we do, what is a part of our life, we can provoke him because of who he is. So we're provoking him to anger. All right, would you stand with me? I don't often have an invitation Uh, Because I don't want that to become just another part of the service at the end. Um, That's just my philosophy. But I just, I don't want that or for anyone to think that I don't want to hear from you. Or if you have questions or if you have any concerns or whatever, if you want to know how to be saved, you can definitely, that's important. And that's why I go to the back and you can say, Pastor, I, I'm interested in baptism. I'm interested in being saved. Or I have this question. You know, that, but that's why I'm here. So you can still have that time with me if you want. But oftentimes where some, you know, come forward during an invitation. And I'm not putting down invitation. But sometimes during those times of invitation, you know what people do? is I can see white knuckles sometimes. Do you know why? They want to move. But just because we're dismissing, 
walking out that door, that doesn't mean God is saying no to whatever conviction or now that it's done. No, it's not done. It's, you, can, you can seek the Lord. So I, I just want to challenge you to do that. Now, Christian, we need to do that as well, to seek him and to serve him, to live for him as well. So service tonight is 6 o'clock. We're going to continue or finish the part on being unprepared, being unprepared. So come prepared tonight to talk about being unprepared. Yeah? And if you're not, that doesn't make sense, then then come tonight, tune in, and we'll show you all about it. All right? So we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Uh, Brother Sean, would you close us, please?